Today, Pastor Javen continues the series, In It, Not Of It. In the famous account from Daniel 6, we'll learn Daniel's keystone habit that creates contagious courage. So take a moment now and prepare your heart for today's service. I want to read 1 Peter chapter 5 to set us up this morning. These are Peter's words to the believers scattered throughout a faithless society. He had been given instructions to different, to men, to women, to different people. And then in 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 5, he directs it to everybody. And listen to what he says. All of you serve each other in humility. For God opposes the proud, but he favors the humble. So humble yourselves under the mighty power of God. And at the right time, he will lift you up in honor. Give all your worries and cares to God, for He cares about you. Stay alert. Watch out for your great enemy. Not the person beside you. Not the person that lives down the road from you. Not the person you work with. Be on your guard against your great enemy, the devil. Because he prowls around like a roaring lion, looking for someone to devour. Stand firm against him. Be strong in your faith. And remember that your Christian brothers and sisters all over the world are going through some of the same kind of suffering. And for us, even worse suffering than what we go through. So, Father, we just commit this word to you today. We ask that you plant this seed deep into our heart. And help us to line it up with what we see today book of Daniel and help us to stand guard and stay strong and stay in our faith and stay humble and trust you in every area of our life. It is in Jesus name we pray. Amen. Anybody have any crazy habits? I mean, there's, there's some crazy habits we can have in this life, right? You know, there's the, the regular habits we can have. Uh, people bite their nails, all kind of stuff, but there's all kind of habits. But and, and there, there's some habits that that just may be weird that some people. I don't know if anybody ever watched the show. Everybody loves Raymond, uh, the brother Robert on that show. He had a weird habit, and and you know the writers for them to write that in, they had to have somebody in their life that had a weird habit like that. He touched his chin before he put his food in his mouth. Every time he ate, he touched his chin, then he ate. There's some. There can be some crazy habits in our life. There's some. Be, there can be some good habits that we have in our life. Right? Habits that can create in, in routines for us. Think about it in this way. From some of you may have your morning routine. They're your morning habits. And when you have those morning habits, those morning routines play out, then for you, it's, it sets you up for a better day, right? If those habits gets messed up, get messed up, then it might mess up your day a little bit as you get started. There's a book that was written by a guy named Charles Duig. By the, na- uh, the name of the book is called The Power of Habit. And he talks about this, how we can use habits to our advantage. And he talks about how scientists describe habits. They say that habits are this. Habits emerge because the brain is constantly looking for ways to save effort. Now, I know what you're thinking. You're thinking, I know a lot of people whose brains are saving effort. Stop that. Stop thinking that, okay? So... 
He says, this is why I have it submerged because left to its own devices, the brain will try to make almost any routine into a habit because habits allow our minds to ramp down more often. You ever been driving somewhere and you think back that when did I make that turn? You did it because it was a habit. That's the way you always go, right? That's the thing about your, your morning habits. He says that habits happen because there's a cue that sets off a reminder that, that leads you then into your routine. And then from doing that routine, you have a reward. So you think about your morning routine in that sense. Your cue is your alarm clock. Your alarm goes off, you start your habits, your morning routine. When you get them all done, you have the reward of your day is off to a good start, right? That's kind of how that plays off. But there's some habits that uh, he talks about in this book that are very important in our life. He calls them keystone habits. And this is what he says about keystone habits. He says, keystone habits transform us by creating cultures that make clear the values in our life that in the heat of a difficult decision or a moment of uncertainty, we might otherwise forget. In other words, there's keystone habits in our life that when some situations arise that try to take us off our course, those keystone keystone habits remind us of what our values are and keep us focused to move forward. So that that situation becomes our cue of our keystone habit, right? So we're going into Daniel chapter six today. And we're going to see that Daniel has a keystone habit in his life. And you probably know what it is. It's been playing out ever since we met Daniel in Daniel chapter one. It's a habit that even when certain cues like crazy situations happen, He has the same reaction every time. And for him, it brought great reward. Daniel chapter six is that famous story that even if you didn't, haven't been in church any time in your life, you've probably heard this story referenced to before. It's Daniel and the lion's den. It's a story that we often think of. That's a great Sunday school story. That's a great children's story. It's actually not. Uh, and I mean, our kids talk about it in kids church classes in just a couple of weeks, our kids church environment is going to be looking at Daniel chapter six, but in the Daniel and the lion's den, but this story actually ends in a very horrific and frightening way. So it's, there's much more to this. So remember Daniel taken captive. Daniel and the people of Judah taken captive by Nebuchadnezzar. Nebuchadnezzar reigned until uh, when, when his life ended. Belshazzar, we talked about him last week. He took the reign as king. And then we saw that Belshazzar found out his days were numbered. He'd been weighed. The kingdom was about to be divided. The Medes and the Persians took over. And now they're under a different leadership. In Daniel chapter 6, we see a guy mentioned by the name of Darius is ruling and reigning as a part of the Medes and the Persians Persians at this time. Now history, there's a lot of different things that are said about this time in history and about who is Darius. Darius is not the guy that uh, we see in other places in the Old Testament, but there's a lot of different discussions about who Darius could be. Now, one thing about the Aramaic and the Hebrew, I remind you, Daniel 2 through 6 were written in Aramaic. The Aramaic and the Hebrew of the word Darius just simply means Lord. It's like a title. So it could be that this word is just being used simply as a 
title. But based on what history even showed us through archaeologists discovering about Belshazzar, we talked about that last week, from what we're going to see in the future chapters to come over these next three weeks in Daniel, and the specificity that Daniel talks with and what plays out that we see play out over history that lines up with what Daniel talks about, there's no reason to think Daniel is making anything up about who's ruling and reigning at this time. All right? So we've got Darius ruling and reigning in Daniel chapter 6. And I also want to remind us that when Daniel came into the kingdom, he came into the kingdom, him, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, we know them better as uh, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. They came into the kingdom as young men. We said that they were probably somewhere in their early teens when they came into the kingdom. And so we talked about this in Daniel chapter 1. We said, we, I told you, young people, youth, age does not have to define your impact in regards to the kingdom of God. You can make an impact in the kingdom of God regardless of how young you are. What matters is your uncompromised convictions. That's what Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, Azariah had. Uncompromised convictions opened up doors of influence for them in their life. So age was no matter. In Daniel chapter 6, we get to a point in Daniel's life where he, he is somewhere in his 80s. So, the truth still holds true. It doesn't matter how old you are. Your age has nothing to do with whether or not you can make an impact for the kingdom of God. It's still your uncompromised convictions that open up doors of influence for you. So those around here that we call young at heart, this applies to you. Listen, don't, don't, uh, don't overlook the richness of age. Michelangelo painted one of his most famous paintings, The the Last Judgment, at the age of 89. Thomas Edison was still filing patents at the age of 90. Colonel Sanders didn't open up KFC until he was 69. So if you can't have have Christian chicken, you might as well have the Colonel's chicken, right? John Wesley, who's a prominent preacher in the history of the church, is said to have still been preaching at the age of 85, many believe two to three times a day. We may retire from vocations in our life, but we never retire from our devotion to God. There is always a purpose. There's always something that you can do in your life, even if it's behind closed doors, on your knees in prayer for the church, for the people of God, for your family, for the nations, whatever it may be. But for some of you, even your age, you can still do more than that. So let's jump into Daniel chapter six. Darius is in charge. Darius keeps some continuity in the kingdom because he keeps Daniel as one of the, the um, one of those in charge as well in the kingdom. In Daniel chapter 6, let's start at verse 3. He says this, Daniel soon proved himself more capable than all the other administrators and high officers. Because of Daniel's great ability, the king made plans to place him over the entire empire. Now, I want us to see this verse in the English Standard Version. Some other versions say it this same way. Daniel became distinguished above all other high officials and satraps because of an excellent spirit that was in him. Now, remember, we've talked about this over the last several weeks. 
you know, Daniel has had this spirit about him that has been recognized by many leaders in the kingdom, a spirit that was different than the spirit of the other wise men and other leaders within their land. Daniel had distinguished himself because of the spirit of God that was in him. And the spirit of God that was in him allowed him to be one of the finest amongst all those in the kingdom. And it gave him this opportunity to work with excellence and to to live a life of character. Aristotle, he was a Greek philosopher. This is not Bible. This is just a quote from Aristotle. He said, excellence is not an act. It's a habit. Now, maybe he got that from learning about Daniel. Because Daniel had a habit that we're going to see in just a few moments that cultivated this spirit of excellence that was in his life. Let's keep going. Verse 4. Then the other administrators and high officers began searching for some fault in the way Daniel was handling government affairs. But they couldn't find anything to criticize or condemn. He was faithful, always responsible, and completely trustworthy. So they concluded, Our only chance of finding grounds for accusing Daniel will be in connection with the rules of his religion. Now think about this. How awesome would it be? Imagine, just imagine this for your life. If the only thing people had against you was how faithful you are to God. Honestly, I I wish I could say that about myself, but I'm sure there's some things about me. One sitting right over here on the front row, she could point out some things about me because she lives with me, but she still loves me. Right? But this was Daniel. The only thing they could find about him was he was too faithful. He was too faithful and too trustworthy of a follower of God. Listen, we read it in our opening text. You have an enemy that is constantly trying to destroy your life. You've got an enemy that's constantly out to get you, but you have to remember, I want to remind you of Peter's words from even earlier in that letter that he wrote. First Peter chapter one, verse 12, he said, be careful to live properly among your unbelieving neighbors. Those who don't have the same faith that you have a faith in God, just live your life faithful to God around them. Then even if they accuse you of doing wrong, like Daniel's going to be accused, they'll see your honorable behavior and they'll give honor to God when he judges the world. They may not give honor immediately, but what Paul is, or what Peter is saying is they will eventually. And they'll understand, oh, that's why they lived the way they lived. The spirit of Daniel had been recognized by King Nebuchadnezzar. We talked about last week by the king, by the queen. But Daniel shows us it is possible to have good character in a bad world. It's possible. Daniel kept being promoted even as a captive. And this happened in every kingdom, no matter who the reign was. So how did Daniel avoid pride? I believe it's the habit that he had in his life that we're going to see in just a moment. Let's go to verse 6. So the administrators and high officers went to the king and said, Long live King Darius. 
We are all in agreement. Now stop right there. Now, everybody that was in that room in front of him were all in agreement. But Daniel, who was also one of the leaders that the king was getting ready to put over the entire empire, I can guarantee you, he was not in agreement with what they're about to say. Okay? They say, they say this. We're all in agreement. We, administrators, officials, high officers, advisors, and governors. In other words, he's, they're saying everybody, even if they're not in the room right now, everybody's in agreement. That the king should make a law that will be strictly enforced. Give orders that for the next 30 days, any person who prays to anyone, divine or human, except to you, your majesty, will be thrown into the den of lions. And now your majesty, issue and sign this law so it can not be changed. An official law of the Medes and Persians that cannot be revoked. So the king, so King Darius signed the law. So listen, Daniel's weak spot, we saw it, it was his faith. He, was, he had too strong a faith. That was his weakness. That was a good weakness to have. Darius' weak spot is what we've seen Nebuchadnezzar's weak spot be. Belshazzar's weak spot be. It's what every ruler's weak spot was. It was his ego. So these men go and they play to his ego. And they say, King, let's put in a law that says that no one's going to pray to anybody except to you. You're the only one they're going to bow their knees to and seek for the provision of whatever they have in their life. It wasn't uh, abnormal for, for kingdoms to play to a leader as if they were God or to treat a leader as if they were God. That wasn't abnormal. It, it, it continued to happen all throughout history. In fact, there's leaders across this world today that I guarantee you they see themselves as God, not just as kings. And they rule that way. But they're playing to his ego and what they're doing is they're deceiving him. They're deceiving the king. These are the tactics of our spiritual enemy. They've been the, ta- the tactics ever since the beginning. If you remember uh, the book of Genesis and what happened in the garden, the enemy came to Eve and he deceived her. And he said, you can eat this fruit. Here's what's going to happen. God knows if you eat this fruit, you're going to become like God. The enemy plays to our ego. That's what he plays to. And he's trying to tempt us. He's trying to deceive us. We talked about this a couple of weeks ago. There comes points in our lives where we get stressed and we try to take the sovereignty out of God's hands because we think we can do things better. But we have to be on our guard, like Peter said, so that we're not misinformed, so that we're not manipulated, and that we're not deceived. Misinformation can lead to wrong conclusions in our life. There's a lot of things in our life we think we're be, we, we allow ourselves to be deceived by. The enemy can make us think, it's okay, you can do that, you're all right, that, nothing really bad's going to happen. You can keep talking to, it's just a friendship. It's okay, go to lunch with them, it's just a friendship. And before you realize it, that friendship has destroyed a marriage. But that's what the enemy wants to do. There's so many things in so many ways that the enemy will try to deceive us. We have to be on our guard. So they make this law and they can't, it can't be changed. And you think, that's weird. They make a law. They're like, there's no take backs. Remember that as a kid? You do you make a rule for a game? No take backs. 
This is what's going on in the But this was custom. This was custom in their time. And they did this so that a king, just because the king was in a bad mood that day, they couldn't make some crazy law. It also, it also was put in place so that it, when, when there was a law, a king couldn't just change it because if a king constantly changed laws, it questioned their stance as some type of divinity and who they were as king. So they make this law, no take backs. Let's look at verse 10. Daniel chapter 6. But when Daniel learned that the law had been signed, listen to what he did. He went home and knelt down as usual in his upstairs room with his window open toward Jerusalem. He prayed three times a day just as he had always done, giving thanks to his God. This is it. This is the keystone habit that was a part of Daniel's life and that we had been seeing ever since we were introduced to Daniel. It's where his character came from. It's where his convictions were fortified. It's it's where his courage was strengthened. It's what instilled in him an unwillingness to conform and kept him grounded. Daniel responds to this edict, to this decree, and just doing what he always did. His habit. He prayed every day consistently. And this prayer kept him grounded. Even though Daniel was a captive, prayer kept him free. So he went back immediately and he prayed. This wasn't some kind of point Daniel was trying to make. This was just Daniel doing what Daniel always did. Daniel would have known the prayer of Solomon that we see in 1 Kings chapter 8, where Solomon, the temple had been built, and Solomon prayed these words. He said, if anybody is ever outside of Jerusalem, God, let them know they can turn to this holy place where your temple is, where your presence is, and they can pray and they can seek you. Daniel would have known that. Daniel would have known the words of David in Psalm chapter uh, 55, Psalm 55, verse 17. He would have known the words of David where David said, I pray morning, noon, and night. Daniel knew the teachings of those before him and he knew the value of prayer. So every day as usual, he went up to his room at his window. He faced Jerusalem, his home where the temple of God was and he prayed three times a day. See, Daniel knew how to respond even when a situation arose that would cause him to question his values. We had already seen Daniel do this one time in Daniel chapter two, when Nebuchadnezzar said he was going to kill all the wise men because they couldn't tell him what his dream was. Everybody else is panicking, running around. He's going to kill us. Some probably even paralyzed by fear. We said, Daniel, we saw in Daniel chapter two, he goes back to Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, and he tells them, boys, we need to pray. See, when we have these situations arise in our life, if we panic, here's what happens. We begin to try to work in our own power, and we don't get very far. If we're paralyzed by fear, we're not working in any power because we're paralyzed. We can't do anything. But when we pray, we release God's power to handle a situation that we are powerless to do anything about. And not only that, we bring peace to the panic through our prayer. 
See, in this moment of Daniel chapter 6, Daniel just goes right back to a holy habit that he had developed in his life. Paul wrote in his letter to the church of Philippi, Philippians chapter 4, we see it. He said, be anxious about nothing, pray about everything. In other words, what he's saying is he said, look, there's so much in our life. There's so many opportunities in our life for us to be anxious. But that anxiousness is not worth our time, is what Paul is saying. And I know it's hard, but he said, you know what is worth our time? Prayer. Prayer is worth our time all the time. When you think you have nothing else you can do, you can pray. And Daniel knew this. And so the guys come along and they see Daniel in his upstairs room. I don't think they were just walking by and went, there he is. No, they were plotting. They knew this was going to happen. So they were on a stakeout. And as soon as they saw him go up there, they went back to the king. But here's the thing. It wasn't that Daniel did everything in secret. He did things. There was things about his faith that he did in private, but his faith was never secret. And so he goes back or they go back to the king. Let's look at what happened. Verse 14. Hearing this, the king, well, sorry, uh, verse 13. Then they told the king that Daniel, one of the captives from Judah is ignoring you and your law. He still prays to his God three times a day. And hearing this, the king was deeply troubled. And he tried to think of a way to save Daniel. He spent the rest of the day looking for a way to get Daniel out of his predicament. In the evening, the men went together to the king and they said, Your majesty, you know that according to the law of the Medes and the Persians, no law that the king signs can be changed. So at at last, the king gave orders for Daniel to be arrested and thrown into the den of lions. And the king said to him, May your God, whom you serve so faithfully. Again, his faith wasn't a secret. May the God you serve so faithfully, may he rescue you. Listen, this king was deeply troubled. Deeply troubled. I want to point this out because some some versions say it this way. It says he was displeased in himself. I think there's truth in both of the aspects of this. The word that that this word is being derived from, it it, it can mean that it's displeasing to him or it's it's displeasing. But the root of that word means that it makes oneself stink. So there's truth in this. One, Darius is disappointed in himself because he allowed himself to be manipulated and deceived by the other leaders. Because they knew the favor he had over Daniel. And he was about to appoint him over all the land. He's probably thinking to himself, Daniel wasn't in the room. I should have went and found Daniel and asked him his opinion. I imagine he was very displeased with himself. But he was also in distress because he loved Daniel. And now he's got to put this law into effect to the one that he loves. And so he, scripture tells us that he's fasting. It's not a fast like we think of. What it just means is he kept everything away from him. He didn't have any entertainment come that night. He didn't have any food brought to his room. There was nothing. He sat in his room and he was stressed out. He was awake all night in a panic, wondering what is going to happen to Daniel. But the whole night Daniel (laughs) was in there with this stone sealed over this lion's den. Daniel wasn't in a place of panic. Daniel was asleep. And God was with Daniel through all of it. 
As I told you earlier that excellence is not an act, it's a habit. It's what Aristotle said. The same can be said about courage. The courage to stand, it comes from a habit in your life. The, the, the spirit of Babylon in our world that still exists today, it is constantly trying to get the followers of God to conform to the spirit of this world rather than allowing yourself to continually be transformed by the spirit of God. And here's what the spirit of Babylon wants to do in every generation. It doesn't want to just teach the next generation or a new generation. The spirit of Babylon wants to raise a new generation. And that's why we need to be strong in our faith. And we must have a habit in us that creates this spirit in us, the spirit of excellence and the spirit of courage that gives us a courage to stand in our convictions and to set ourselves apart so that those who do not live this way, we said it last week, they know where to come when they need someone to come to. So here's what happens. Daniel chapter six, verse 17. The stone was brought, placed over the mouth of the den. The king sealed the stone with his own royal seal, the seals of the nobles, so that no one could rescue Daniel. Then the king returned to his palace, spent the night fasting. He refused his usual entertainment, couldn't sleep at all that night. Very early the next morning, the king got up, hurried out to the lion's den. When he got there, he called out in anguish, Daniel, servant of the living God, was your God, whom you serve so faithfully, We see it again, able to rescue you from the lions. And Daniel answered, long live the king. My God sent his angel to shut the lion's mouths so that they would not hurt me. For I have been found innocent in his sight and I have not wronged you, your majesty. Now listen. The king comes to him. Has the God you serve so faithfully rescued? Daniel shouts out, I've been found innocent and I'm unharmed. And you can say to me, you say, Javen, I know a lot of people that have lived and I would say they've lived an innocent life and they've done everything they can to follow God and trust God, but harm still came to them in their life. If you remember, I said this from the very beginning when we started this book and started this series, we cannot read these chapters and and think that if we do everything right, nothing bad will ever happen to us. That's not the lesson from Daniel. If you read Hebrews chapter 11, I told you this, you keep going in Hebrews chapter 11, you see a lot of people that lived a faithful life that still faced persecution, that still were, were martyred. Jesus Christ, who lived a sinless, perfect life, still died a ruthless death. But he did it so that we could be found innocent. We trust God because it's better than not trusting God. And Daniel proves this time and time again. And then after this happens, this is where the horrific scene is. Darius commands that the people who accuse Daniel, and not just them, but their wives, their children be thrown into that same den of lions. And so Daniel 6 tells us that they go get thrown in that. And as soon as the first body goes into them, the lions pounce. Now we read this and we think that is not fair. 
That is horrible. That is horrific. Why would that be allowed to happen? This was custom in ancient times. This is what happened under leadership in these days. The reason being was because they didn't want anyone to come up and try to avenge those who had suffered punishment. So they would kill everybody aligned with them so that there would be no one to come and bring and avenge their death. We cannot read this as God condoning these actions. Remember, God allowed Judah to be taken captive. And the reason they're in Babylon was to work for the peace, you remember, and prosperity of the land. But they were in a very ruthless and sinful world that they were trying to work for the peace and prosperity towards. Just like us. But I want us to see how this ends. Remember Daniel 4 end with a pagan king declaring the sovereignty of a most high God? What started as propaganda in this chapter of prayer to a pagan God in Darius became a proclamation of this same pagan king about the providence of the one true God. Listen to what he says. Listen to Darius' words. Daniel chapter 6. Verse 25, then King Darius sent this message to the people of every race and nation and language throughout the world. Peace and prosperity to you. This is what Daniel's been working for, right? I decree that everyone throughout my kingdom should tremble with fear before the God of Daniel. In other words, you need to understand and respect the power that this God holds. He holds your life in his hands for he is the living God. He's not dead. He's alive and he's well, and he's reigning. He will endure forever. He'll never end. You approach me every day and you say, long live the King, long live King Darius. This is the only God that will endure forever. His kingdom will never be destroyed. His rule will never end. He rescues and he saves his people. He's a deliverer. He's a redeemer. This is who this God is. He performs miraculous signs and wonders in the heavens and on the earth. There's nowhere that his great hand and his great power cannot touch. He rescued Daniel from the power of the lions. So Daniel prospered during the reign of Darius and the reign of Cyrus, the Persian. That's quite the sermon from a pagan king, is it not? all because of an influence of a faithful follower of God in a land that didn't follow God. In a, with a leader, a ruler, a king who didn't profess the same faith as Daniel. Daniel still served and actually grew quite fond of these people as we have seen. And served faithfully, but followed his God, more importantly, faithfully. Daniel's courage became encouragement for Darius. He poured his courage into Darius. This courage comes from a habit of prayer. And this courage can become contagious. Daniel didn't hold a revival in his lifetime where he saw massive amounts of people flood and 
to in front of him and pray and have their lives changed. Daniel lived a faithful life and saw God transform a nation just through his faithful service. Don't compromise your convictions. Stand with courage in them. Do what's right in your life according to what you know through the word of God and then leave the results up to God. Courage comes from consistency in your faith journey. Listen, when an opportunity comes in front of you where you have to stand in your faith, what you'll do in that moment to stand is determined not by that moment. It's determined by what you do every day as a habit right now. What would your habits create in you to stand? And listen, as we wrap up, this world, we got to know this, this world will never be a God forsaken world. We'll hear that phrase often said from time to time, this God forsaken world, this world will never be a God forsaken world because God sent Jesus in love to this world. Jesus, we said it already, he died. He lived a perfect life, an innocent man, but he died a ruthless death. He was put inside a cave, much like a pit, and had a stone rolled in front of him, just like what happened with Daniel. That stone would be rolled away. And just like Daniel had a friend come running to his pit, Jesus had a bunch of friends come running to that tomb. They couldn't find Jesus. And then Jesus appeared to them. And they saw a risen and glorified Savior. And then scripture tells us that Jesus ascended. Daniel was given the right, the seat right beside the king's throne. Jesus sits on the throne right beside God, not an earthly king, but the king over this sovereign or or, or sovereign king over this world. And he rules and he reigns forever. And because of what Jesus did for you, you can be declared innocent. Even though we are full of a life of sin. The apostle Paul wrote in Romans, he said, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. God has sent his spirit to work through you, to be his voice of hope to a world that is lost in a spirit of Babylon. Remember our opening text. Peter said, stay on guard. Don't be deceived. Don't fall prey to your ego. Be on guard. Stay humble. Because your enemy's he's roaming around. He's roaming like a what? Like a, like a lion. Because what he wants to do like a lion is he wants to seize his moment to pounce. That's what he wants to do. But listen, the same God that shut the mouths of the lions in that den with Daniel, he can shut the mouth of that lion that's roaming in your life seeking to devour you. But the way you stand on guard is through a habit of prayer. And you trust his promise that even though you're strangers in this land, one day you'll be with him in a kingdom 
that reigns forever. And I find it very interesting that as this section of Daniel closes, and we're about to go into a section of Daniel that's really interesting. If you've never read Daniel's chapter 7 through 12, it's interesting. And it's difficult. But it's interesting to me that he ends this section talking about what happens. I'm not an English teacher, but I think it's poetic. That he ends this section in Daniel chapter 6 with a story centered around lions. And he's about to go into a section where he talks about a future to come. A future that is secured and in the hands of the lion of the tribe of Judah. See, Jeremiah prophesied in Jeremiah chapter 51 that Babylon would fall. John, in his vision, in Revelation chapter 14 and in chapter 18, we see where he prophesies in a vision very similar to some of the stuff that Daniel's going to talk about in Daniel 7 through 12, that this Babylon, this spirit of Babylon, it will fall. And Daniel, we're going to see in his coming chapters, he's told that this, this future is sealed. It's sealed. But John tells us in Revelation chapter 5 that there's one who's worthy of breaking the seal. And there's one who brings the demise of this Babylon. Revelation chapter 5, verse 5. One of the 24 elders said to me, stop weeping. Look, the lion of the tribe of Judah. Where did Babylon come? Where, where did Daniel and his boys come from? Judah. The lion of the tribe of Judah. The heir to David's throne. He has won the victory. We are not in a place worshiping a God, believing for victory. We are worshiping a God who has already obtained victory. We are living a life faithfully serving a God who we're not hoping is going to win. Who's already won. So create in your life a habit of prayer, of God's word, of worshiping the one true living God who endures throughout all time. And know that no matter what is happening around you, no matter what is happening to you, God will deliver you. He may deliver you from, he may deliver you through, he may deliver you by, but he'll deliver you. So some of us, as we close this time today in worship, a risen God, King, and Jesus Christ, our Savior, our Lord, the one who rules and reigns forever. Some of you need to begin to make a proclamation of faith, declaring for God to shut the mouth of the lion that's trying to seek and destroy your life. Because you know there's a lion trying to attack you. There are things that, 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 that he is deceiving you with left and right in this life and in this world. To begin to pray and you need to proclaim, God, I need you to shut the mouth of that lion in my life. 
You're the lion of the tribe of Judah. You reign victorious. He has no reign in my life. So, Father, I'm asking you to raise the valleys, to lower the mountains. Some of you need to make that proclamation. Some of you, things are going well for your life right now. So you just need to pray, God, help me to be used by you. That my life of faith and courage to you prepares the way for you. That's a voice for you. But as we close today, you may need to come around here and worship in victory. You may need to bow. You may need to kneel. I don't care what you do. But church, I want you to worship and proclaim victory today in your life. Through the lion of the tribe of Judah. If you need prayer in any way today, we would love for you to reach out to us. You can go to our website, bwccambin.com. Go to our contact page. You'll find the link there to request prayer or send us anything that you would like to communicate with us today. Or you can also simply text the word prayer to 803 803- Six seven six seven five six six, and we will be back in touch with you to find out how we can be in prayer for you. God bless you. We hope that you have a great week.